sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let us pray. Your Father, we realize that your word is just that, sharper than a double-edged sword active in our lives. And so we ask that as we look at your word today, that you would give us your Holy Spirit to guide us, to understand, to apply, to put into effect in our own lives. We pray today as well for Gary Stanton as he leads the men and women down at the Bristol, Virginia jail in worshiping you. Our hearts go out to him. We ask that you would bless him and that you would work in the hearts of the inmates, that they would come to know you and grow in you, even as we ask the same thing for us who are not behind bars. And so we ask your blessing now upon this, your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This past Wednesday across the world, two men met with a number of associates together with an interpreter. And as, of course, you well know, those two men were the Secretary of State, United States, James Baker, and the Foreign Secretary of Iraq, Tariq Aziz. Out of that six-hour conference, which included several breaks, the two views that the men, each man had held a different view when they went into the conference, and it seemed as we listened afterwards that their two views came out of that conference unchanged. Of course, they may have made progress in understanding the ground on which the other stood, but aside from that, it seemed that there was no progress made towards understanding or towards reaching a resolution of the problem. In the press conferences following that meeting, the Secretary of State of the United States told the world Iraq is an aggressor, a nation that defiantly flaunts world opinion in its attack upon and continued occupation of Kuwait, continuing a crime having no bearing whatsoever upon Israel, while the Foreign Secretary of Iraq told the world that Iraq is a hero, a nation that is willing to stand up to world opinion in order to bring about justice for the Palestinian people whose homeland Israel is occupying. And he stated further that the United States is in cooperation with Israel, a villain ignoring Ron at one point while confronting it at another. Now you understand, of course, that my paraphrase of those two positions leaves something greatly to be desired. You would have had to have heard it to know exactly what they said. But what we have seen throughout this world incident, which is becoming more and more perilous, is that we clearly have a standoff, a conflict that doesn't seem to be resolved in any way short of war. Now remember how as kids this kind of standoff was rather frequent with peers or siblings? Probably no more frequent then than it is now. But back when we were younger, there used to be standard ways of settling disputes. Rarely ever did one kid say to the other at the beginning of a dispute, Okay, okay, you're right. Because, of course, that was a great sign of weakness. The procedure as I remember it, but uh, again, when I talk about my youth, you have to understand that I'm telling it as a spectator. I was never involved in this sort of thing. As I witnessed this sort of dispute, what would happen is one kid would say, 
The sky is blue, and I get the front seat today. The other kid would, re- would respond, the sky is red, and no, it's my turn. They would repeat those formulas for a few practice rounds, getting good and settled into their positions, comfortable with what, <clears throat> what they were saying so that they could say it backwards and forwards, mix it up, yet never betray their side. And from there, whichever kid thought of it first would escalate the discussion, we can still almost call it a discussion at this point, by saying, I'm right and you're wrong. Of course, at that point, the real position is stated. And that's the part where we adults, we don't have the bad manners to get to that point of just saying it out bluntly, I'm right and you're wrong. The other kid would repeat the first kid's statement verbatim, word for word. Of course, this time it meant something totally different. And then they will show their mathematical learning, getting into it slowly. 100 times, I'm right and you're wrong. 1,000 times, I'm right and you're wrong. Some of you are looking puzzled by this. I can see you've never observed this. But it's, it's, you have to be an anthropologist to understand what's going on. <laughs> and so they climb up the ladder until sh- what should be the finishing touch is when one of the disputants puts an end to that part of the argument, and now by now it definitely is an argument, by uttering this equation, infinity times I'm right and you're wrong and you can't say anymore. Well, there's no need to say anymore at that point. Would that that were the end, but it rarely is unless an, a parent or an adult gets into the action. From here there is little point, little else to do but to get into physical discussion of the merits of the situation. And here, the original finer points of the discussion become irrelevant. Size, persistence, and meanness are what count. But the problem is, what is frightening to us is to see countries move through the preliminaries and find themselves left at the brink of this last stage. Now, don't mistake here what, where I'm going or what I'm saying. What kids do may seem silly, and as adults, we always like to feel that we have grown out of childish things. But kids aren't usually that much different than adults. They do and think probably many of the same things, probably because they've learned them from us. Adults just happen to do things in a little bit of a different way. What we see between our country and Iraq is a clear standoff in which one group sees things one way And the other group says they're just exactly the opposite. What is at issue then really is the truth. Where does the truth lie in the middle of all this? Where is the truth in all of this positioning? Is it simple and straightforward what is right and what is wrong? Skeptics over the ages, and you've probably heard this stated, they like to say about every war that our country has gotten into, that money has been a major factor of going to war, that regardless of the moral issues, if there are any, financiers had as much to do with the decision to declare war as anyone or anything else. And by such talk, these skeptics are pushing to the back burner any thought that people would ever go to war for truth, because they say that money is so often involved, truth cannot be the reason. Well, what is the truth then with regard to the situation of Iraq and Kuwait and our country? In our country, we understand that talk flies fast, 
and furiously. Some people claim that we are at war or at the brink of war solely because of the price of oil. That if it wasn't for our dependence upon Middle Eastern oil, we wouldn't be forcing Saddam Hussein into the corner like we are. While others take a high moral position, saying that the attack upon Kuwait was unscrupulous aggression and that the Kuwaitis need to be freed. Surely, as we stand and sit here today, each one of us has their own opinion of how we have gotten to where we are today and where we should go from here. But though I have already done it, the intent of this look at the issue is not to stir up opinions, but instead to cause us to focus on that little regarded issue, which is truth. We are in an age, unquestionably, in which the principle that there is truth and that there is also falsehood and that they can be distinguished in between, in which that principle is not in high regard. Because people today really think that the same thing that Pilate said to Jesus, which was this, what is truth? What is truth? And it is reflected today in people's jaded, suspicious, and apathetic attitudes towards everything and everyone. We have to understand that this whole situation in the Middle East gives us wonderful opportunities to study truth. What we must realize first off, before we go any farther, is that there is truth. There is truth. And God's word makes that so very clear. Though we may be cynical about the world and about people, thinking that there is tr- that truth is nowhere to be found, if we are willing to spend the time necessary to look into God's word, we are guaranteed that there, in his word, we will find it. We will find truth in God's word. Truth that we can stake our lives on. Truth that has no impurities, no falsehood mixed in to disillusion us. So from our verses in Hebrews 4, we find truth. God's word not only is truth, having been spoken by God, but furthermore, it reveals truth. That's what we read about the truth. From Hebrews 4. It is said to be living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. What does it mean by all this? It means that God lays all people bare. It reveals, God's word reveals motives and attitudes, why people do what they do where they are coming from, where they are going, and how to change direction. Further, we read that the reason God's word reveals truth, laying bare the hearts of all people, is because it comes from God himself. And God is the one who alone knows everything in creation from whom absolutely nothing is hidden. It's so very troubling to find And it happens so often to find people who claim a knowledge of God's word having the opinion that really you can take any position from God's word and then you can pick up the same book and you can contradict it from God's word as well. How false that is. Is God contradictory? Does he ever change his mind or his ways? No. 
James 1.17 says this about God. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows? If God is unchanging, then we surely better believe that his word is as he is, unchanging. What is the truth in one place remains the truth in another place forever. Where there appear to be contradictions, then, it is us frail humans whose understanding is lacking, rather than that God's word is contradictory. Yet so often we would rather... We would rather read something in God's word and say, now that is contradicted or that contradicts this other thing that God's word says elsewhere. We would rather do that than take the time and expend the energy necessary to say, okay, I need to look at this in depth and figure out what's going on here. And I need to pray to find out from the Holy Spirit's guidance what is going on here. I'm excited by some things going on in our church such as the Women's Bible Study, which meets on Tuesday nights, in which women of our church are invited to spend time searching out what? Searching out the truth by spending time looking where the truth is guaranteed to be found. I'm excited by our Sunday school classes, where teachers open and discuss God's word with students. I'm excited by individuals who spend time alone and with their families opening God's word to search out his truth to search out God's wisdom for their own lives. I wonder often if this is happening enough. If we really are spending our time in learning, in examining God's word for truth to live by. Because you see, in a world which is so confusing, in such a world we are at a complete loss unless we look to God and his word to find the truth. How can you find it in the situation about the Mideast? Well, you can feel that you found it, but if you want clear and unadulterated truth about all the things of life, there is only one place to be sure you will find it. Without anything thrown in that might not be true, without anything left out that's important. And for the enemy of truth, Satan, it is as much a success for him if we do not spend our time in our Bibles reading, studying, poring over God's word, memorizing, talking about it, thinking on it, meditating on it. For, for Satan to succeed in keeping us from spending time in God's word is as much of an advance for him as it is for him to take us into any other sort of sin. Understand that. I said any other sort of sin. What's more, the more we lose our grasp on the truth, the more certain that it is that we will fall further and further into all sorts of sins. Because having taken our eyes, our ears, our minds, our hearts off of God's truth, we will forget what it says. And we will fail to recognize sin when it comes. We'll even welcome it because we do not recognize it. Now, Jim referred several weeks ago as he preached to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We see from the conversation between Eve and the serpent, Satan in disguise, that Satan is skilled at bringing the truth in our mind, into our minds in a scrambled up and distorted way. So that Eve, not being certain and secure about what God had said about God's truth, she bought the scrambled version 
And out of that, she sinned. We look at what January 15th means. And for any of us who have been following the news even the least little bit, it is entwined with friends, relatives, working companions, acquaintances, and many others who have already made the trip over to Saudi Arabia and are practicing for war. A war in which lives, should it come to that, will be lost on both sides, regardless of who comes out the victor. But we have to understand what God's word says about this. And if we read God's word, we realize that war is not something that we sinful human beings thought up and perfected. It is not unique to the animal kingdom, of which, of course, we are members. What war is, is a confrontation between good and evil, though sometimes the lines get blurred. War is a result a direct result of sin and rebellion. War and fighting are not something that just kids play at, and war will not always be limited to games. Those who insist that we live in a world in which there is no war are ignorant to the truth of the world which we live in. Because of sin, we cannot get away from war. It's the simple truth. Pick up your Bible. Study it. And realize, be reminded of the fact that the final events of this world as we know it will be armed combat and battle. In which Christ is involved as one of the generals. In which Christ will lead his warriors against those of Satan. But our hearts are understandably heavy as we consider the precipice that we stand upon this week in the ensuing period until this Middle East situation is, is, is resolved. What we must realize, what we must be awakened to as a result of this situation is that war is no new thing. It is something that is going on at all times. Not just in isolated parts of the world. War is going on in our midst at all times. It is going on true in spiritual nature, but it is going on in our midst. It is going on within me at all times. And while we grieve over the prospect of loss of life in the desert of the Middle East, God's word tells us the truth which we must believe, which, real, which makes us realize that lives are lost each moment. People who die as losers on the spiritual battlefield, having chosen to remain on the side of lies and falsehood, the side of Satan and his evil rebellion. For those people, when death comes, it does not just bring a tragic end to their earthly lives. For them, eternity is also lost. For eternal death is a consequence of failing to accept Christ as the truth. Now, I understand that I'm moving across the field from one side to another. But the central theme is this. There is no need for us to be confused. No need for us to wonder where the truth lies. When by spending time in God's word, we can find it. Yet we see people in the thick of this spiritual battle, people having declared their allegiance to Jesus Christ, people among us who have dedicated themselves to the truth, and who by dedicating themselves to the truth are fighting then on the side of righteousness who are, following this dedication, taking no instruction or taking only as little as possible in knowing the truth 
in order to apply it to winning battles. Do we think that we sent hundreds of thousands of soldiers and support personnel over to the Mideast to rest at their stations until the battle began? Whatever we think will be the outcome of this confrontation, we would consider soldiers who refuse to drill, who refuse to inspect and take care of their equipment, who refuse to realize that sand was getting into the intake valves of their engines. We would consider such soldiers extremely foolish. Congress, for instance, would launch an investigation into an inefficiency and unpreparedness And doubtless, all those guilty military commanders would be removed with severest reprimands, if not court-martialed. Yet we believers involved in a war that is much more exhausting, it is much longer range, and it's much more deadly serious. We seem to think, oftentimes, that it's okay to be lazy, to be lax, to be unprepared with the weapon of God's truth, which is His Word. And we do not even seem to notice when others are so unskilled with the sort of truth that they are unable to pull it out of the scabbard. If we do not take our personal war seriously, we will lose disastrously. For we are fighting in a war which we read in 2 Corinthians 11:14. For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And if we study God's word to see how Satan fights and look to his temptation of Christ, we realize that Satan knows God's word, and that if we are not careful, he can bring up God's word to draw us into sin. If we are not aware of what God says, God's word says, if we are not studying, he can catch us ignorantly off guard, and we will fall. Because we will never realize, because of our lack of vigilance and training, that he has taken God's word and just done that little quarter turn with it so that it is no longer truth but a lie straight from hell. God's word turned to a lie by Satan in our lives. This is what I am concerned about for us as a church and for us as believers. For this I am praying daily that God will produce an increase in us, his people, a great an increasing hunger for his word, a desire to know the truth that amidst all the changing, shifting shadows, a desire to know the truth which never changes, diligence to study God's word, eagerness to put everything to the test of God's word, not only our spiritual lives, but also the events of the world around us, such as the situation in the Mideast. Now you may remember that before Advent, We looked at the Lord's Prayer for three Sundays. While today, though Jim preached on the importance of God's Word on December 30th, we are again looking at the importance of God's Word. There's a reason for this. Because I believe that unless we are serious about these fundamental acts of faith, unless we focus on them, on prayer and the study and application of God's Word to our lives, we will be able to go nowhere else. We will be stunted in our growth. And the consequences of stunted spiritual growth are terribly sad and distressing. Even more so because we see from God's word that he wants to draw us into it. 
that he loves us into studying his word. We see from God's word that stunted spiritual growth is something that can so easily be avoided by devotion to these fundamentals both privately and with other believers. Such stunted growth can easily be avoided by dedication to prayer and to the study of God's word. Now there are, of course, plenty of other things to preach about. Actually, God's word is overwhelming in all that it says for all of the areas of our lives. And that, in part, is also why I choose to preach today on the fundamental importance that God's word has to each one of us. Because I cannot possibly bring to your attention all that is found in God's word, the fullness of God's truth found in his word. Yet I am quite aware of what he speaks in Ezekiel 33, saying this, When I bring the sword against a land, and the people of the land choose one of their men and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn the people, then, if anyone hears the trumpet but does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes his life, his blood will be on his own head. Since he heard the sound of the trumpet but did not take warning, his blood will be on his own head. If he had taken warning, he would have saved himself. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people and the sword comes and takes the life of one of them, that man will be taken away because of his sin, but I will hold the watchman accountable for his blood. As a spiritual leader, as a watchman, I must cry the alarm, as must all spiritual leaders. We... Spiritual leaders of all people cannot be asleep. We of all people cannot fail to neglect our to, to dedicate neglect to dedicate our lives to the truth, to studying it, to learning it, because we will be held accountable for whether or not we reveal it to those who desperately need to hear it. And we can only reveal what we know. The alarm that I cry is this: Scripture reveals the truth. You must dedicate your lives to studying it, for it will help you make sense of the world around you. It will teach you the right ways to raise your children. It will guide you about your marriage. It will teach you love for the unlovable, forgiveness for the unforgivable, contentment in all things. It will teach each one of us how to work. It provides the morals that God gives for every area of our lives. It provides healing for wounded people. And best of all, it gives the hope of salvation for the lost. All of this and more God's truth will accomplish if we will but devote ourselves to studying it, to learning it, to applying it, to telling it. So, let me ask some practical questions. Do you have a readable Bible that you understand? If you have a King James Version and you're stumped by its language and you don't understand what it's saying, then go out and get a Bible that you can read. If the print in your Bible is too small, get a large print Bible so that you can read it. Are you spending time privately, alone, seeking God's guidance and direction by reading His Word as a precious source of guidance and strength? Do you take advantage of the times when the Bible is studied among believers here at the church and in homes to discuss and make sense of what God is saying, to find out the truth? You need to be. 
Are you showing the are you showing the importance of the truth to your family by sharing the reading of it together regularly? And by that I mean daily. Do you consider what God says when you face any situation or consider any decision? This is when the truth that we have learned comes into play. Because living our lives and learning the truth must be joined together at this point. Or the truth is not the truth in our lives. It is useless. These are the ways in which we need to be applying ourselves to God's word and applying the truth to our lives. And the Bible is where we will find rock-solid truth that doesn't lie. Truth that will enable us to win battles and to win victorious wars. Truth that gives us comfort and security in a perilous world. Further, think about not only the responsibility that we have to ourselves with regard to learning the truth, but also the responsibility we have to any who are following us. Church leaders aren't the only ones with the increased responsibility of giving direction to followers. It is not only pastors, elders, and teachers who must lead others by their words and their examples. Parents, too, have this great responsibility, as do husbands as the spiritual leaders in their homes. And many of us in work situations, in school situations, where someone does not know what we know yet, someone is a new Christian, there is someone who we are responsible to, to lead them in the right direction as well. The thought is very serious, that we could neglect God's word, and in so doing, for instance, as parents, lead our children away from God. Or that even though we can quote the Bible from memory, we neglect the second part of it because we don't act it, because we don't act it out, that we would lead others to regard it as falsehood. And this happens every day in so many situations. I am guilty of it. You are guilty of it. We need to take it seriously, learn the truth, and live out the truth as we learn it. For if you don't learn it, you can never live it. And if you don't live it, you've never learned that it's the truth. In closing, let me share two illustrations. I've been several times to a church in which the evening service on Sundays, the pastor asks the people questions like this. Tell me what God says about faith. Or, tell me what the Bible says about salvation. And they're not rhetorical questions, you understand. In response, four or so Sometimes more, sometimes less people in the congregation will call out verses. That is a sign of a people who have been diligent to read, to study, to memorize God's word. Now some might say about that, but I haven't been a Christian long enough to do that. Or I haven't been studying my Bible long enough to do that. So here's the second example. A second grader in North Carolina whose name is Thomas Boyer sat in a class before Christmas this past season and the teacher had asked several adults to come into the class to share what they did at Christmas time, to share what Christmas time meant to them. Just people from the general public. Among them were a number of different people. And understand, of course, this is North Carolina. A number of different people, including a Jewish lady who told the children about her religious enjoyment and experience and celebration of Hanukkah. But Thomas, being a perceptive little boy, who had his ears open, went up to the teacher after it was all over and said, when are you going to have a Christian come into this class and share about Christ 
Jesus at Christmas. And he went home and he told his parents about the special teachers, special speakers, and about what he'd asked the teacher. Now you might not think that anything earth-shattering had happened from that story. The only result was that the parents had a conference with the principal, and the principal then instructed the teacher that if she chose to, she could have a Christian come into the class and tell about Jesus at Christmas, which she chose not to do. But you have to understand that much more than that happened. A little boy who has been taught the truth faithfully by his parents and Sunday school teachers demonstrated that he believed it was the truth. He stood up for the truth. Having learned it, he lived it. May the same be true of us. Amen.